0: As we get started now, I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear me. Some of you are perhaps here this morning wondering if there's another opportunity, another chance. And I'm here to say that if you woke up this morning, there's still a chance. You got dressed, you left your house. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're watching us online. But you're still here. And so there is a chance. There is an opportunity to be what God desires. You know, I let my mind wander. If you back up to Genesis 8, I kind of let my mind wander on that image beginning in verse 15. You see it? It says, Then God spoke to Noah Come out of the ark with your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you, and bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds and livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread out over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, they came out, and all the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, By their families. Now, I kind of let my mind wander through that image. Remember, Noah heard in chapter 6 that God had a plan and he had faith. And remember, at that point, Noah alone was serving the Lord. And so Noah believed God and Noah obeyed God, and Noah built an ark and he raised his family for 120 years from that word of God. He fathered two sons and they grew up. And imagine, imagine the boys being asked at school So, what's your dad do? Well, he's a preacher and he's a builder. Okay, so what's he building? An ark. Silence, right? Uh, you remember, it, it means a, a coffin. And so then they get in the ark, and they're inside the ark, and here's what blows my mind. When this all ends, and the ark is opened, and they're in the foothills of Ararat, Noah and his family face a completely wide-open, reshaped, blank canvas of a world. You ever thought about that? It's sort of like Adam on the first day. And so the question today is, how do we, how did he, if he was the new Adam, if you will, how do you start over? And that's kind of what we're asking today. Remember, we're only one message in each chapter, so we're trying to see a big picture here. A lot of things we could talk about in this chapter, and there's plenty of stuff that you might want to add. well, what about this and what about that? We're going to focus in here. Remember, God could have completely started over, couldn't He? I mean, He could have just started all the way over and created a new Adam and just began. But what He did was this listen now. He invited Noah to go with Him in doing something new. He is the Lord of the second chance. Do you hear that? He is the Lord of the second chance. And so imagine what Noah and his family and his sons faced in this new world. Some of you are looking to start over. Some of you are looking for a second chance. Read with me Genesis 9. Let's just read the first 17 verses right now. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. But you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, all the wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out only or out by be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between you and me and every living creature with you a covenant for all future generations. I've placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you, And all the living creatures, water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on the earth. And Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Stop right there. So three things that we see there. God blessed, God promised, and man lived. So write down number one. God blessed Noah and his sons. You Go back to chapter 1, verse 28. And after creation, what did God do? It says, God blessed man and gave the instruction, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth that blessing that word barak if you remember it means to kneel before to salute to bless now we know that jesus was the one who created all things all things were made by him without him nothing was made that was made genesis 1, or john 1 tells us and so jesus having created all picture him kneeling before As God, the son, the second part of the Trinity, kneeling before his creation to salute them, to bless them. And so here they are out of the ark, the world before them. And he kneels before Noah and his sons to honor them and bless them. And he blessed Noah, he blessed his sons. So I want you to notice some things as God blesses them for us as well today. Right down underneath there, a continued command. I don't know how many times you've noticed in Scripture when God's giving us a new command, it's the same command. Why? Because we didn't do it the first time. We have to come back to it. John says in 1 John, you want a new command, but I give you the same command. We've had love one another. So he comes back to this command, be fruitful and multiply. Say that. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Notice this, this is a sort of a two-fold focus. The first focus is fruitfulness and multiplication. And the second is the reason for that. And that is expanding their reach. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'll say it this way. Fruitful multiplication is about the image of God being advanced. Listen to that. It's about the image of God. God made man for a relationship with him. And God is saying, you, I made you, so now be fruitful. In other words, fulfill your purpose. I love you. I want you. I want more of you. Fulfill your purpose. It's what he wants for his people. Now, it's interesting. There are some people in uh, church circles that rebel against, or not rebel, that's a strong word, but, but recoil, that's a better word, against the idea of churches growing. No, we need to focus, they say, on, on do, being who God called us to be. And I agree with their principle, but you can't get away from the over and over being told to be fruitful and multiply. Amen. Why? So that we can increase the image of God. Let me give you some examples. When, when, uh, when Jacob was renamed Israel in Genesis 35, 11, God says, be fruitful and multiply. In Jeremiah, he's speaking in chapter 23, verse 3, And he's talking about the judgment that is coming and the captivity that will follow. But he says that when they return, I will gather the remnant and they will become fruitful and increase. It's what God wants for his people still. In John 15, Jesus says, remain in me. And then in verse 8, he says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The blessing of God starts in creating us. It continues in saving us, and in that return that He, or as a return, He desires for us to then enlarge that reach to increase the number of image bearers. All of us that were created bear His image, but those of us who have been reborn in Christ, we have been recreated to bear His image spiritually. And he wants us to increase the number of image bearers that are enjoying what God has given. Now, there's another thing here I just wanted to say going by because somebody would ask about it, and so I'll just reference it. And that is a change in menu. Did you, did you notice the change in menu? Every creature crawls will be, and all the fish will be what? Food for you, praise God. Every Oh later in the in the uh, in the law they had some things like lobster and shrimp taken away from them and then in Genesis 10 we got them or Acts, Acts 10 we got them back praise God As I have given you green plants I have now given you everything it appears and we don't really have a commentary on this in scripture but it appears that initially we were not carnivores Chapter 1, verse 29 says, I've given you every seed-bearing plant, every tree whose fruit contains seed is food for you. Now, whether that was exclusive or whether that was something that changed before the flood or it now just changes after the flood, we don't really know, but we know here in verse 2 that it says animals and birds would now be afraid of man. That seems to be a change. And yet they could eat anything they wanted to. Seems to me that this is where hunting was first sanctioned. They'll be afraid of you, but you can go get them. It'll just be harder for you now. We can have all, but we have to work for it. But then notice this, and don't miss this. This is much more important than the menu issue. That is confirming the value of life. He says, don't eat meat with the lifeblood in it. Now, I've heard some people playfully say, that's why I eat my steak well done. And chefs everywhere cringe. The point is not that. Here's the point. It's not about how you cook your steak. But it's about the order and the civility and the respect for lifeblood. And life in general. Created by God. God is creator and so we should honor his creation and we should honor life. In other words, you don't kill an animal and then fill your lust for food right there on the spot, but as honorable hunters do, you honor the life that has been given to eat and the one who gave it, who created it, and the idea of carefully and orderly butchering the animal and preparing the cuts in a way to honor the gift and the giver. And then we are to eat. But then he takes it deeper in regard to man. You know we are a little lower than the angels. We are the highest part of God's creation made in the image of God. And right here, God says, I will require a penalty for killing a person. I know some of you are waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm not preaching a message on life or death or the death penalty, but there are principles here. Last week things were so so busy and so crazy and so many things had happened and I got in my message and I realized that at the end of the service I hadn't even referenced this and then I got to this week's message and I went that's why 9 days ago a landmark happened in our country that perhaps we thought would never come and that is that the 1973 Roe versus Wade decision was overturned after 49 years and of course It has not federally outlawed that horrendous procedure, but it has turned it back over to the states. It has localized the control and removed it as a constitutional right. Listen to me very closely. We cannot legislate morality. So I don't put my hope in man's laws, but we must recognize even from this passage this. One is this, that God values human life above all other life. And if we truly believe that all are created equal, as we would so quickly Americanize to say, if we believe that all are created equal, if we believe that God is creator, then that means he controls. And even by permission or by acquiescence, he allows every human life that is created to be created. Regardless of how the circumstances were that created that life, God is still creator, and he is still the Lord of life. And so whether by intentional desire or even a violent act, if there is human life, we say as Americans that life has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so I do celebrate this decision that will seek to protect helpless lives from being snuffed out. If our creator has allowed creation, then who are we to take it away? And then you cannot get past in these verses, if we just allow the word of God to speak, at least that death penalty was given as a possibility. It was not given necessarily as a command for how it was worked out, but it was given as a possibility in verses 5 and 6. And the reason that it is allowed is also given that God made humans in his image. So this then is a societal issue. Whoever sheds blood by humans, his blood will be shed. In other words, what this really means in the simplest terms is that a society of humans, the greatest of God's creation, become the servants of God in determining guilt and innocence and mercy or judgment. Romans twelve nineteen says to us as individuals, do not avenge yourselves because vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. And so the concept you put those things together the concept is introduced that society is an extension of the Lord and you read Romans 13 and it says that government is the service of uh, the servant of God. And so if you take that then to its natural progression listen to me very closely life matters. And human life matters the most. People from conception to the grave matter. We are not just pro-birth, we are pro-life. And that's a simple valuation, but it's a complex actuation. And yes, we as the people of God, listen to me, should lead the way. We should lead the way in protection of of life for those in our society that are devalued. And we should say, listen, that their lives matter. And we should prove it by love in action. By coming alongside, by coming to the aid, by standing with and standing for those whose lives have been devalued in our society. And we should stand up and we should speak out and we should say that this devalued human life matters. And we should not further devalue it by refusing to rise and speak. We should walk and we should act on their behalf. And that includes the unborn and the marginalized and the helpless and the homeless and the aged. I seem to remember somebody saying that the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And that means we should fight for their right to have the same rights that we expect. And let me just say, as I let that sit for a minute, that yes, that probably fully means exactly what you think I mean in every aspect. So, back in, verse, in chapter 9, as this world grows with Noah and a blessing from God is a society that recognizes God and then is used by God. But do not forget that God is still on the throne. Even when ungodly rulers and leaders do ungodly things, they are still given those positions and are used by God, even if we can't understand it and so then notice still under under number one here is that then, in verse seven, God is restating the charge, but you you 've heard me talk about it. I like the verses that say, "but God." And here's God saying, everybody else does this, but but you. Listen, church, God is saying to us, but you. The world is devaluing this, but you. The world is not doing anything, but you. The world is not feeding, but you. The world is not clothing, but you. The world is not standing, but you. Some may not honor God, some may not honor life, but You. We cannot be some sort of lone avengers or killers or disrespectful of life. But we will give our greatest work, and God says it again, be fruitful and multiply and spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Acts 1.8 says we are witnesses. Where? At home and across the region and in the hard places and as far as it is possible. That's the same thing as is here. Why? It is what God wants. It is multiplication, not addition. It's about Noah and his sons and their sons and on and on and on. You understand, addition happens when a leader spreads the gospel. Multiplication happens when everyone spreads the gospel. Evangelists have their place and evangelistic style preachers have their place. But it is the church that multiplies. The church spreads the message and spreads the image of God and enjoys all of what God has given us, not just where we are, but to the ends of the earth. And so God blessed, and that blessing has an obligation to value and extend it. So God blessed. And then write down number two, God established his covenant. That's a promise, isn't it? Verse 8, God said to Noah and his sons, understand, I'm establishing my covenant. And then you go and you read verses 9 through 17, and God uses the word covenant eight times. And so I want you to notice some things about the promise that God made, the covenant. Write this down first, write down the scope of it. You know, there are some promises in Scripture that are for one person. There are some that are for one people, but not for me. Well, this is certainly for Noah, and that's not me. And it's for his sons, and that's not me initially. But verse 9 says, with you and your descendants. Is that you? That's every one of us. Verse 19 says, From them, who's that? Us. The whole earth was populated. So this is for everyone. Say, This is for everyone. Verse 10 says, Every living creature and all the animals that came out of the ark. Are you a living creature? Well, yes, some of you more than others. I'm sorry. When you say tough things, you've got to say funny things on the other side. But then notice the promise. Write down the promise. We see the scope. Write down the promise. Verse 11. Never again will every creature be wiped out and a flood destroy the earth. Floods still come, don't they, St. Louis? (laughs) But God is the Lord of the storm. God sets boundaries. And God will protect from anything outside of his will and will guarantee his promises. Why? Because the promise is from God, is completed by God, is continued by God. That's what a covenant is. And so as you read these over and over again, notice he says, I will and I establish and I make and I remember and permanent covenant and I have established. See, it is God before, it is God during, and it is God to completion. It's God. Praise God it's him and not me difficulty will come, but God will still be in control. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, it doesn't say you won't go through the waters. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flames will not burn. It doesn't say that rivers and fires don't come. It just says, I'll bring you through them. Why? Isaiah 43, 3 says, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. Oh, that's it. (laughs) And by the way, Isaiah 43, 1 says, this is what the Lord says. The one who created, the one who formed, he says, do not fear for I have redeemed you and I have called you by your name and you are mine. That's why I go through the waters, but I come out. That's why I go through the fires and I come through. And then Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord and I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand and I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. You can't get away from those two verses right there, 42, 6, and 7. You go flash forward to 61, 1, and you see that's exactly what the Messiah would do. And then you go to Luke 4, and you find Jesus saying, that's why I came to do those things right there. Praise God for his control and for his purposes. And so then how do we know? So write down the sign. There it is in verse 12. And anyone that misuses this sign does it intentionally. They're doing it to take away the focus on the one who made the promise. I have placed my bow. You know, when the hunter would come home with his bow, or the warrior returned from the battle, they hung their bow over the door. Oh, there's some cultures that they would come in and they would come home and they would put their gun over the door. Same idea. What they were saying was the killing is over. The hunting is over. The battle is over. I'm hanging this by the door. And so God says when you see it, you will know that never again will I do what I did and be afraid. Whenever I form the clouds, see, rain's still coming, but God's still the Lord of the storm. God is in it, whether it's natural or it's intentional, it's still God in the midst of it. And so when you see it, number one, God is not destroying. He's still in control. When the battle comes into your life, when the storm comes into your life, understand God is not destroying. He's still in control. And then number two, that trouble comes. Go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to get ahead. You're celebrating what God's saying. Trouble comes, correction comes, but God will remember his promise. His promise endures. So one more thing about that, write down the word, the sacrifice. The scope, the promise, the sign, the sacrifice. See, we come back here, listen to the value of blood. It's because it is life and it is for a sacrifice. Leviticus seventeen eleven says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. Yeah, back there in chapter 8. Go, go, if you have your Bible open, go back there to verse 20. They come out of the ark, that floating casket, They've died to self, they've died to trusting themselves, they've trusted the word and the provision of God, and they've gotten into the ark. And then in verse 20, they come out of the ark, and it says, and Noah built, on, built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. Do you remember that God had told him to take some clean animals along? When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night will not cease. And Noah had believed God and Noah had followed God. And in essence, Noah was in God when he was in the ark and he came out of the ark and he worshipped. But more importantly, this, he worshipped the way God told him to worship. We always must come his way. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except by me. We must worship his way. That was Cain's problem, wasn't it? He wanted to do it his own way. God said, if you do what is right, won't it be accepted? He didn't want to do it right. And God had told Noah that he needed to bring some clean animals. Why? So he could worship properly. And the God who sent the animals, the God who saved them, the God now, that God smells this aroma of a faithful, obedient propitiation, a substitutionary sacrifice, and it pleases him, it satisfies him. And he says, I will never again curse the ground and never strike everything down, even though it's always been grace. Even though the inclination of your heart is evil, it's always been grace. Even then it was still grace. When we come as he says to come, he is pleased. And though we are sinners, he receives us and is pleased because it is based on his promises and his provision and not on ours. Amen. That's what a covenant is, by the way. And it pleases God. Ephesians 5, 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And so he he blessed the people. And people blessed by God in the covenant of God, promised, established, continued, completed by God, He begins this second chance for those who come with God. There is a second chance, but listen, it's with God. So write down number three, living in the covenant. There is so much that we could say about the last half of this chapter. And some of it we will actually apply next week as we look at chapter 10 because they interrelate. And so we won't try to read it all right now. I'd encourage you to go read it later, but let me reference some of it. Chances are, between verse 18 and the rest of the chapter, that a long time has passed. We don't know because God's just telling us a story. He's not giving us a chronology. Time has passed. Years, perhaps. Decades, perhaps. Who knows? And I have read that it takes between two and six years to mature a vineyard. So we got a mature vineyard here. So it's taken a while. And so I doubt this was even his first yield. And so Noah had a vineyard. And over time, he had a vineyard. And over time, he's using that vineyard. And he made wine. I know we're in a Baptist church. And I am not a drinker, but this is not about that. There's nothing wrong with grapes, and ultimately there's nothing wrong with wine, though it's not for me, but drunkenness does not please the lord second Timothy one seven tells us that the spirit of God, the one that he gives us, it is a God of power and love and sound judgment, and drunkenness clouds all three of those. So you read here, Noah allows himself to be drunk. And then he uncovers himself and he passes out. Don't try to read too much into it. Just take it for what it says. And his son, Ham, it says this. He saw him and he told his brothers. If you are just want an interesting afternoon, read all the different things that people say about this. It's really kind of humorous. And a lot of people speculate, and I read and read and read, And they let their minds, I think, many of them go too far. Because they're comparing it to us. Listen, God's word is never afraid to speak the truth, even when it's ugly. And if we stay in the clear and literal rendering of this passage, it does not say he committed a sexual sin, as some would say, or a perversion of any kind. And commentators explain that that word saw... Carries the idea of an intent and a gazing. And then it says, when he saw, he gazed, he was intentional, then he told. Which insinuates that he told with delight. Perhaps it seems like maybe he was saying, look what our blameless father did. It says he was holding up the robe. Look what our dad did. The greatest sin here is this, Ham delighted in dishonoring his father. You say, that's it? Oh, yeah, that's it. Because that's it. Noah had truly been the only faithful man alive, and he now has a black moment in his life. Do you want somebody putting all your black moments out there? He had a black moment in his life, certainly not his first bad day, but I'm guessing his worst day. Is that a big deal? Deuteronomy twenty seven sixteen says the one who dishonors his father or mother is cursed. So we're going to talk next week about the curse. We're not even going to focus on that this week. And by the way, just to make it clear, this is not about ethnicity. These are all Noah's sons. This is about, write this down, the consequences of sin. And so you're like, well, if it's that simple, if this is just about dishonoring his father, which is a big deal, and about the consequences of sin, why would God even tell us this story? Romans 15.4 says, Whatever has been written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Can I translate that for you? We're going to walk where they've walked, and we need to understand how to walk right. So God wrote this first through Moses to Israel who was heading to the promised land so that they would know that sin induces a destiny of God's enemies. It is also written for us to make some observations about what it is to live in the covenant. So just a couple of observations, we'll finish. Even good actions can have twisted results when sin gets a foothold. From vineyard to drunkenness to shamefulness to a curse. I think that's what James said happens. We think about it, we act on it, and it leads to death. Evil happens, but we do not have to join in. Write that down. Ham celebrates his father's shame, but notice that Shem and Japheth, the robe that he's waving around, they take the robe. They turn around backwards. They would not even look at their father's shame, and they covered him. So why was Ham worthy of a curse? A just God inspired this prophetic declaration from Noah. And he said that Canaan, Ham's son, his offspring would be the lowest servant to Shem's family. He said that Japheth would be in the tent of Shem and Shem would be the family of the greatest blessing leading to the fulfillment of the promise in Eden that the offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And then verse 28 says, just look at this. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. He lived 950 years and then he died. Listen, at some point, they are going to say about you, about me. They lived X number of years. And then you died. My grandmother is 105. She'll be 106 in September, still lives alone. I'm chasing down that number. But listen, no matter how many it is, after I've lived that many days, I'm going to die if Jesus doesn't come. And God saved Noah's family by faith and through obedience. But listen to me, sin is always crouching at the door. Every day, sin is crouching at the door. Every day, I have an opportunity to turn to Christ. And so how do we live in the promises of God? Why do we live in the promises of God? It's as simple as this, and you can write this down and take it to the bank. In good days and in bad, no matter your parents or your friends or your family, we can still turn to God. verse 26, Noah says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. In Acts 17, beginning in verse 24, it says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. For from one man he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that, look at this, he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps... They might reach out and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. God determined the time and the boundaries so that they might seek him. And perhaps reach out. And find him because, listen, he's not far. Oh, God is as far away as you turning your head from him as he will ever be. But he is as close as you turning back to him. He's right there. God is not far. Oh, even if he seems far, God is not far. And he has brought you through what you've been through. To this moment in time. So that you might seek him. That you might find him. Why? Because in him. You live. In him. You move. In him. You are. And without him. We are not. In him is life. And that life is the light of the world. And it's all by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice being a sweet aroma to the Father. And when I receive that, I too become a sweet aroma. Would you pray with me? This is a holy moment. And I really want us to move into a time of worshiping the Lord who lives and moves and gives us being when we live and move in him. Whether you're watching us online or you're here this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've placed your hope somewhere else, he is your hope. He is life. He is what you seek. And so could you right there, if you've never trusted him for your life, could you right there say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I am a sinner. And I know that you died for me. And so I come to you. That I might know and have the father. And all the life that you have for us. Can you pray something like that? If you just prayed a prayer of faith like that, confessing Jesus as Lord, agreeing that you are a sinner and asking him to forgive you, I believe that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus and life has just begun. Maybe you're a child of God already and you've just kind of wandered away from what God wanted and he's speaking to your heart and I want you to hear that he is the God of another chance. Not that you have lost your relationship with him, but you're out of fellowship. And he is as close as the turn of your heart. And so could you, as already a child of God, say, Lord Jesus, I come. Forgive me of my sin. Make me clean. Make me new. Make me whole. Father, as we confess you, we worship you. As we admit that there is no other hope, we worship you. Forgive us for trying to provide our own way. For failing to recognize that it is you and you alone. May our worship be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will have elders here if you'd like to come. If you prayed with me to receive Christ, we'd invite you to come. We're going to just take a minute here, and so there'll be time to come and give if you need to give. There'll be time to come to one of our elders. If, if you need to be prayed for, come. If you'd like to be prayed for, ladies, if you'd like to be prayed, come. One of their wives or another lady in the church will pray with you. You can come. You can find a place here. Come on. But we're going to stand. We're going to worship him. If you want to be a part of this church, we'd receive you as well at this time.